Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Leading on Purpose show with Dr. Anthony Perdue. I believe that personal and professional leadership all starts with purpose, your purpose, and an inherent belief that you are here for a reason. All right. Um, <clears throat> Welcome, everyone. Uh, today, we have a very special guest on the Leading on Purpose podcast, Brother uh, Reggie Harrison. Reggie is a retired U.S. Marine who served for 30 years, and he's a husband, a father, and a grandfather. And congratulations for, for all that, uh, Reggie. In commemoration of the leadership lessons learned both in, in and out of the military, Reggie published a book entitled Simple Man's Guide to Leadership. Here it is. I have my copy. Get yours. Uh, <laughs> a Simple Man's Guide to Leadership. Uh, Simple Man's Leadership Guide, pardon me in an effort to teach others that leadership doesn't have to be complicated, but instead should, um, not to be complicated, but instead should begin from a place of self-awareness and genuine concern for men and women who serve, who you serve. Reggie now works at the Naval Safety Center in Norfolk, Virginia, and dedicates his time as a resilience building leader program trainer he coaches others to reflect on and understand the basic principles that help shape resilient people and resilient teams. Reggie's question is, how may I help? And Reggie, thank you for helping me being on our podcast today. Um, let me start. I always start with the question about purpose. This is the Leading on Purpose podcast. So, you know, what's really important to you? What's your big why? What's your purpose? And then how does that um, align with your leadership? Well, first of all, good morning, Dr. Purdue. It, it feels good to call you Dr. Purdue since I know you from uh, way back way back when, right? Uh, so to get to your question, uh, the why, let me start at the end, right? And so the end is the destination. The destination is we all know that at some point we have an expiration date. No, uh, death awaits us all. And so along that journey, my why, my purpose is to plant seeds in others that hopefully help them grow and become better self-aware of themselves. And I get that, that idea, that notion from my own grandfather. And I think about my grandfather, a man who didn't finish third grade, but to me was the greatest leader I ever had the pleasure of uh, being around and the seeds he planted in me. Now, as he was planting these seeds, you know, his little, uh, his little words of wisdom, of course, I was at the age of, what is this man talking about? How come I just can't go out and play football and basketball? Why do I have to sit here under, under a tree listening to uh, these stories? But as I reflect back, everything that I have done as it relates to leadership, I can tie it back to him, the seeds he planted. So my purpose is to plant seeds to help people get better. I plant seeds to teach my young black son who's 21 how to be a dad, and how to be a husband. I plant seeds where my daughters know what they should be looking for in a husband if they choose to get married, and what they should expect as far as respect and those things. I plant seeds in the people that I have had the pleasure of being called their leader to respect everybody, regardless of where they come from. That's easier said than done because I can't say that I always respected everybody because I still grew up in a bubble, remember? You know, we all spent 18 years influenced by what we knew and what we heard. 
So it wasn't until I broke out of that bubble and I started realizing that, you know, other people aren't that much different than me. And maybe the issue isn't them. Maybe the issue is me. That opened my eyes up. I can go deep into that one, but I'll, I'll stop there. So my purpose is when the, they write the last words on my tombstone is to, I hope I have planted seeds that creates future leaders who make the world better. That's my goal. One person wow. at a time. Mm-mm. Wow. That, that is deep. Um, you, you said so many nuggets in there, whether it's, you know, planting seeds, whether it's uh, self-awareness, um, stories about your grandfather, um, your own children. I mean, I, it, it, you know, starting with death, you painted the picture of the arc of life, not just in your own, but in the lives of others that you actually, you know, uh, have led and have planted those seeds. Let's start with um, this concept of self-awareness. You mentioned that. And I think, you know, I, you know, also I love leadership and, and I know about how self-awareness kind of is the, one of the, the foundations of, of leadership. What is, talk a little bit more about self-awareness and, and it's important to, and importance to leadership. And what have you seen that do perhaps in your own lives or perhaps in the lives of those that you planted those, those seeds in? Okay. I think if you talk to anybody, to include me right now, we all will say, well, I'm self-aware. I, I know who I am. Uh, but until you recognize that as self-aware as you think you are of yourself right now, there's something about you you don't know. <laughs> that, there's that unconscious bias. There's, there's something that's, that's tugging on you that influences how you interact with people that you may not be aware of. Until you are comfortable understanding that you still are growing, it's difficult to grow. So my self-awareness moment, I say, you know, I grew up in a community that was black and white. I saw the world in black and white, you know, black people, white people. If you weren't white, you were black. Mm -hmm. That's what I knew. And, you know, them versus us. And I heard all these stories. Uh, then I went off to JMU. At JMU, you know, you started being exposed or at the college level, you start being exposed to people from different places who, although... Uh, it is still black and white, you start realizing the diversity of thought is much larger than you grew up in, or at least you had been exposed to. Then I joined the military, joined the Marine Corps. Now I joined the Marine Corps with the intention of staying in for a four-year period, end up doing 30. The greatest thing that happened to me as far as opening up my eyes was I went to the Philippines and I was talking to a young lady. And in my... Um, high and mighty stance, posture, I looked at her and I said, why are you a prostitute? i never forget it. Mm -hmm. And we were, we were sitting at a bar. It was me, her uncle, her brother, and some other gentleman. She said, because this is how we eat. Wow. And the rest of the family said, yeah, this, this is how we, how we eat. And I remember thinking to myself, in my arrogance, I was looking down on her placing the American value on her. But what she is doing, she's not doing because she's a bad person. She's doing to survive. And it has made me stop and think of myself, how, how arrogant of me to even ask the question. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that, right? And so traveling the world, as I started meeting people and I started uh, touching people, like uh, I ran into a Muslim. I grew up in a Christian household. Like, and so I, I started out from the standpoint of, you know, you're wrong, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, but then after you start talking to people, you realize 
people are good. Then my uncle is, is a Muslim, right? And my uncle is good. Again, I'm becoming more self-aware that as much as I think I know, I don't know. Then I started leading people in the Marine Corps. And as I was leading them, I started realizing that uh, because I thought I was the smartest person in the room, mm. you know, we weren't going very far. As you know, the saying goes, if you're the smartest person in the room, in your group, the group is too small. My group was too small. So once I, I began to realize that I need to enable other folks to be a part of this thing called the team, I just need to plant those seeds. You know, my, and my seeds are here are life lessons. You know, no matter how much money you make, no matter what you obtain, you, know, you will be remembered by the, what you do, good or bad. So if you're going to touch people, it is one thing to say, I am a leader. Who cares if you say it? If Dr. Purdue says I'm a leader, I'll say, who said so? <laughs> you know, it's the people who follow you who need to call you a leader. It's becoming self-aware. And so hopefully what I have done over time, and, I, and I'll give her just a real quick example. I had a, a Marine. A Marine came to me. And hopefully the story is relatable to people who've never been in the military because it's all about human relationships. So just think about supervisor and employee. So I'm talking captain and a first sergeant. So a captain would be like your white collar, the leadership role. The first sergeant would be blue collar, the foreman, right? Mm -hmm. And so the captain came to me, the supervisor, and said, I'm having issues with my uh, foreman. We can never seem to get on the same sheet of music I think I want to fire him. I said, well, maybe the issue is not the foreman. The issue is you. And of course, no feelings are hurt. How, how dare I say the issue is him? I went on to explain. I said, well, you got to understand, your foreman has been doing this for about 18 years of his life. You've been doing it for about eight of yours. Every time he comes to you with an idea, you want up him because you're trying to be the smartest person in the room. You never give him a chance to um, take some shared leadership, take some ownership. And in his frustration, it feels like he's pushing back on you. It's, it's just he's exhibiting, he's expressing his frustration. I said, how about this? The next time he has a good idea, just go with it mm. and see what happens. Well, to shorten that story up, over time, to his credit, he listened to what I said and gave it a try. That became my best unit, best company within my organization mm -hmm. because he was able to uh, become more self-aware that he was potentially the problem. I spent my whole career becoming self-aware that, okay, if things aren't going well, either it's them or it's me. But the common denominator is always me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's good, man. And, and what is, what's interesting is that self awareness, you know, opens the door for humility because so it's almost like self awareness teaches us that if you know we have to start with us. To mm -hmm. your point, is the common denominator, and what is, you know, what am I doing? Um, that I'm not that I'm not perhaps doing right or what I could do differently, and it takes humility to to um, to realize that to recognize that, especially when in this you know kind of world of the, of high self esteem. So in other words, we can be wrong about something, we can 
we can have a value of, of, of learning about something without it being, oh, I'm the, I'm the worst person in the world because I wasn't. Right. right. You know, right. so that humility, man, seems to open the door um, to, to, to that effective leadership development. In other words, how can I become a better leader? Right. So, yeah. Well, that's good, man. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that you, you, you write about in your book is actually about writing, like writing down. Um, I think it's when you, you talked about self-awareness, you had, you asked some questions about, you know, here's some questions about yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Write those things that those things down. And then over, over time, over the arc of, of your leadership, you'll learn more about yourself. Um, what is writing, uh, you know, really do for, for leaders? Uh, and I like to journal. Like I, I do a lot of, you know, gratitude journaling um, at least three days a week um, and some, you know, journaling my thoughts. What have you seen or what do you think that journaling or writing will actually do to help a leader? When you write things down, you create a baseline. Right. So if, if I say to you, write down, are leaders born or are they made? Now, if you believe they are born and you write that down, you write it down and you sort of explain why you believe it. Now, what I challenge you to do is two or three years from now, five years from now, 30 years from now, look back and see if you still believe that exact same thing. You may have been spot on, but I almost be, would be willing to bet you that anything you write down initially as you journal through you're going to evolve in most things. Your perceptions will begin to change as you gain more experience, as you touch more people, as more people touch you. But if you don't write it down, your mind tends to rewrite history. <laughs> you know, so selective amnesia. So I, maybe it's just me. No, because if I look back on things I've done, I'm always going to spin it in the best light. But if I... Write it down and say, okay, woo, that's what I thought back then. <laughs> I was wrong. Well, see, the beauty in being able to look back and say I was wrong is now you can teach somebody else. So hopefully somebody else doesn't make the exact same mistake that you made. And you can sort of, sort of talk them through your experience or how you got to your point of view. They don't have to buy it. Mm-hmm. But it gives you a baseline. Hey, this is where I was. I mean, when you talk about this book, when I wrote this book, I didn't write this book to sell the book, honestly. I wrote the book so I could give it to young Marines who were coming up so I could say, okay, maybe you can avoid all of the um, counseling I received because of the mistakes I made. Uh, and does that, may I give you a quick example sure. of what that means? So yeah. I, had a, I had a young young Marine go to my boss, and my boss was a you know, Fulbert Colonel, Fulbert Colonel one step below a general, no big deal in the Marine Corps. So for me, I'm like, wow. You went to my boss, to my colonel, and complained on me because he said that he thought my eval of him was incorrect, improper. And the colonel came and talked to me, and he was very nice and you know, a gentleman. And he ex- just wanted to know why I'd given the marks I'd given. And the marks were good in my mind. And so I said, sir, I couldn't hear him. I'm like, sir, wait a minute. Why are you letting him come talk to you in the first place? No. Um, he works for me. I work for you. How come he didn't come through me first? And those marks are good. The colonel says, well, you think the marks are good, but for whatever reason, he doesn't think they're good. So have you communicated to him? Say, what do you mean? Of course, I sat down and gave him a counseling, but he still doesn't understand it. 
He said, the burden of communication is on the communicator, not the communicatee. Mm. So if he doesn't understand you, it's not his fault he doesn't understand. It's your fault you didn't communicate it well enough. I was pissed off. I mean, I was hot. I went home mad. But as I reflected over what was, what was said, I said, you know, he may be right. So I sat down and talked to the sergeant the next day. And once he understood the markings, he was okay with them. I didn't change the markings because the markings were still good. He didn't realize that the markings, those were the highest markings I had given anybody of his particular uh, experience. Mm. Um, but I hadn't articulated it properly. Now, even if they had been poor marks, it still was on me to articulate it properly so he could grow from it. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was a clear failure. So I wrote this stuff down to say the burden of communication is on the communicator at the communicate T. If I may, I'm going to give you one more that I think will resonate even more. Okay. For some reason in my whole career, I, my bosses would come to me and say, hey, Reggie, I, I got a Marine who isn't doing well. I'm going to place him under your charge. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want him because that person is a, is a problem maker. From what I'm seeing and hearing, they, they don't do anything they're supposed to. Well, you got them anyway. You know, it's not like people give you too many choices, right, in the Marine Corps. So I get the individual, this one particular individual, and I told him to do something. I don't know what I told him. It's been too long ago. This is like 1995. But he messed it up so bad that I thought that he did it on purpose. <laughs> I Really, I was, I was a little hot. I got hot more back in those days than I do now. <laughs> and I was a little irritated. So I gave him something else to do. He messed it up. Now, I'm at the point now where I'm ready to bring down the hammer. But I remember what that colonel told me about the burden of communication. So, okay, got it. I called a Marine in, and I called in two other Marines. I said, I need you to do X, Y, Z. Once again, I don't remember what it is I told him to do. I said, now, what did I just tell you? And what he said back sounded entirely 180 degrees out from what I said. It was completely opposite. I'm like, what? So I looked at the other Marines in the room and said, what do you think I told him? And they were spot on. So I looked at him again and said, what's your first language? It wasn't English. Mm. Once I recognized that little small thing, because when he spoke English, it wasn't broken. So it sounded like English was his first language, but it wasn't. So I, I learned to, I would give him instructions. Then I said, okay, Marine, uh, what do you think I told you? And we would, we would spend time until we hit the target. Oh, then he excelled. The burden of communication was on me, not him. But oftentimes we move straight to the, uh, the discipline uh, mode without recognizing that maybe we failed in our part. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very self-aware that I need to make a conscious effort to do my absolute best to communicate. Now, if I am absolutely confident I've communicated and we still have an issue, and then we take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that takes work. And see, that's the Reggie. That's the Reggie I remember. See, you know that that whatever that seed your grandfather planted, it was evident when, you know, you mentioned JMU. So we were at JMU. Mm -hmm. You were uh, you were leaving when I was getting in there, but um, it's James Madison University for for most. But uh, but that discipline that that's the thing I remember, man. That you were you were, you know, wow. hardcore, man. Even back then. So glad to see you 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 soft found your soft side a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. but, but see, but, but to the point of the question, see, now I would have to write that down and say what I thought was the right way then. Mm -hmm. As I look back on it, I say, well, discipline is good to a degree, 
But the hardcore discipline isn't the starting point. See, that was my starting point. Mm. And I evolved away from that. Now it's, it's the collaboration. Mm. It's the constructive dialogue. It's the working with folks. And then if all else fails, okay, now we deal with it. Right? But when I, I, we deal with it, even the person who's being dealt with, in their mind, if they admit it or not, should be able to say, yeah, I deserve that. <laughs> no, he, he, that man gave me every chance you could yeah. give. You know, and it's, I, so I've had people complain. I've had people write their congressmen on me in the military saying that I was unfair to them. And I say, I have sat down and helped people write to my boss. When they complain, I say, well, you know, if you use this word, this, this word means X, Y, Z. That's not what you're trying to say, is it? You're trying to say something else uh, more... Um, more forceful about me. Check out this word. Because I was always confident in this. I am never doing the wrong thing on purpose. Mm. But, but I don't have a monopoly on doing right. So I did my best. If I'm wrong, my leadership's job is to teach me. And mm. I'm ready to be taught. But if I'm right, then I'm teaching you. Mm. And so, like, you say you're going to go to my boss? Go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll go to my boss also. Mm. And, and on some occasions, my boss said, hey, knucklehead, <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> on others, they said, hey, you're absolutely right. Wow. Wow. There's so many questions that, that come from that, man. One, one is, I mean, it, it, it's about integrity, which to me, um, it, like you said, if, if, even if they went to your boss, you knew that you weren't trying to do anything on purpose that would misguide them or, or, right. or do anything. That, that speaks to me as, as a value, a principle, moral ethic where do you how do you think um morals ethics values play a part in leadership um and leadership growth in individuals it's absolutely the, the foundation but let's 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 unpack that okay. sure sure let's i say let's let's peel back the skin on the onion let's get an onion so in the naval service uh, the navy and marine corps mm -hmm. our core values are honor courage and commitment Mm. those are just words until you embed them in your soul and we talk about let's talk about the courage because people say you know courage means that that person will run into battle in the midst of people shooting at them got you but what is also courage is when you speak up against the wrong when nobody else will mm. right and you do what's right even if nobody's looking. I mean, those, 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 those little key things you hear people say, they're easy to say, I'm telling you, they're not as easy to do. So I have learned that people who think they will do the right thing hmm. won't always do it when it comes down to it. Until you are tested, you don't know. So what you will never hear me say anymore, because I've learned the hard way, is I will never do. Because I've learned the thing that I would never do is the very next thing I'm getting ready to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like over time, I look back. Yeah. But if you don't have a good, strong moral compass, and, and what does that mean? So as a leader, my moral compass should be I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to ensure I don't do things that hurt my people. I'm trying to help my people. I'm trying to set an example uh, that I'm not doing I'm not outside the, the, the bounds. Mm -hmm. In the military, we call it the left and right lateral limits. I, I'm trying to stay within uh, that, that straight and narrow as much as possible. But being human, you know, you, you go back and forth. And 
whether it's in my speech, in my actions, my, my, anything about me should be morally grounded as much as possible. Because I mean, I recognize as humans, and I know I have, I have stumbled many times. Again, that's why I wrote the book. <laughs> well, I've stumbled as well, and I wrote a book, and I'm, I'm in the midst of writing my second one. So, because I have a lot of mistakes to, uh, to, 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 to talk about. Um, so I understand mm-hmm. that. Um, man, that, that is, that is really good, especially in, you know, in the context of, of, of how those, you know, courage, honor, how those things manifest itself in your leadership, where, you know, where, where it guides your action. What, what do you think, you know, I'd, I'd be remorse without talk, if I didn't talk about what's going on in the world. It's June 2020. We've mm-hmm. had this uh, horrific uh, pandemic um, and horrific um, visible escalation and, you know, of, 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 of the murder of black men in our country, particularly by the hands of the, the police, and a, and a response um, that have seen both black and white come together in, in riots and protests, but also in the business community. So these business leaders are out there making decisions. Um, you know, Juneteenth is now recognized holiday at, an, uh, ho- at a number of companies, mm-hmm. um, along with other things. So what, what, just to think about what, whether it be advice or thoughts you would offer for, in, you know, improving inclusion and or diversity in, in, in the business you know, climate in the political climate in the, you know, policing climate. What would your advice to leaders be on how they could could go about doing that? Open up the channels of communication mm-hmm. and don't let them close. Period. And what I mean by this is, anytime there is a traumatic event, especially that deals with race, you know, there's there's outcry. People are upset. You know, this should never happen in America. Then the dialogue stops, it happens again, there's an outcry, there's conversation, people upset, we move on, it happens again. Now, this time feels different. Because as I said in something I wrote on, on LinkedIn, no, it is one thing when, in, in the case of this, this uh, racial tension we have that brought all this on, is one thing when the folks who are oppressed minorities are crying out, right? That we're just mad. It's when that middle group says, you know, that a white, say, wait a minute, this is actually happening? Because I believe that even though a lot of folks sort of knew, they heard, that's one thing to know and hear, but then when your eyes actually see and your mind has to reconcile that this is still happening, it was no different in the 60s when folks actually saw the pictures of the dogs let loose, like, wait a minute, this is really happening. This mm-hmm. shouldn't happen. The dogs were already been released before. Black men were already being killed before. Now, let me say this about the police, because I was a police officer. Remember that? Mm-hmm. This was a short period of time. May have been the worst police officer in the world, but I was a police officer before <laughs> I joined the Marine Corps. I have nothing but love for the job a police officer is called to do, but I absolutely believe that we are not doing enough to teach folks who were given guns and authority how to manage and how to deal with people. So I'm 21 years old. I grew up in, um, I don't know how I told you I grew up and I grew up in my bubble. The world is black and white. I grew up in my bubble and the world was white is right and those black people 
uh, X, Y, Z. I don't know. I'm, I'm making this up, right? And all of a sudden now I'm on a police force and I have a gun and I see a black man doing something and all my stereotypes come forth. Mm-hmm. That my unconscious biases <laughs> come into play and I am reacting in a way that ends up being excessive. The question becomes, how much is the system to blame for what is happening if the system isn't taking steps to teach and educate long before we put that gun in that hand? We send folks to the academy, you know, to academies, but how much effort is going into that? Let's talk about cultural differences. Let's talk about how people see you. Let's talk about why individuals react to you the way they do based on a common experience. Now, if the person inside the room, the instructor is a white instructor trying to instruct white police officers, that's not going to work. At some point, you got to, when we start talking inclusion, you got to bring in people who have different perspectives and be comfortable, be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Mm. That's a challenge. The one thing about the Marine Corps that I, I love, and the Marine Corps is not perfect. Marine Corps has its issues. And I'll say that the issue that I've always said, because I, the more senior I became, the more likely I was going to be the only one in the room, mm-hmm. right? And so when you start talking this unconscious thing, when you walk into a room and uh, Colonel Johnson or Smith or whoever, just anybody, says, how you doing, Dan? How you doing, James? What's up, brother? <laughs> oh, man. But, but says it so naturally that they don't even realize that it, it's offensive. And then it, it happens. And as the conversation goes on, everybody's still first name, but I'm brother. Or when somebody says, you know, I need you to go take a, a U analysis because the last black officer popped positive for cocaine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what that, that, that speaks to me is you are still stuck in your stereotype. And in this organization that's supposed to be all about inclusion, we are very diverse. We need to work on the inclusion piece. Mm-hmm. And the inclusion uh, occurs by having conversations, open conversations. Right now, with what's going on in the world, every organization that actually wants to change should be opening up the dialogue for communication and the leadership should be leading it, recognizing that people are going to be emotional, but it has to happen. Yeah. You have to go through, it's a growing, growing um, pains. You have to go through the emotion piece to get to the part where healing can start. So what I guess to wrap up uh, what I'm saying right now about what's going on in the world, I am, I am hopeful but we cannot move forward if folks don't step up and take leadership roles. And folks in leadership roles who just make symbolic gestures like, no, we're going to celebrate uh, Juneteenth as a holiday, or we're going to keep all our other uh, nonsense policies in place for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Or the folks that we hire. See, I'm not, I'm not advocating that you hire uh, more black or more women just because they are black or women. I'm advocating that, oh, what I'm saying is, you can't tell me that there aren't black qualified men and women or just women, right? 
because again, if your if your group is that small, then your group you aren't looking far enough. There are people who are overly qualified for the job, but until you take your blinders off, you won't see that. And if, I will tell you flat out that while I was in the Marine Corps, I just got out now, 2019. It amazed me in 20, 2008, I was put in charge of a unit in Iwakuna, Japan. I was a lieutenant colonel. So at that point, I had been there for over 20. Yeah, right around 20. And I, this young man said, sir, may I come um, see you to get some advice? I said, sure, he's a lawyer. I said, sure. So he came to see me. I said, so what do you need? He said, I, nothing really. I just want to talk to you because you're the first black lieutenant colonel I've ever seen. I said, how is that possible? <laughs> how is that possible? But then I realized that he had come straight out of his school and went to Iwakuni. You know, and again, if I'm the only one in the room, and then I was the only one when I showed up, then he hadn't seen anybody who looked like him. Seeing somebody that looks like you makes a difference because, and, and people, they underplay this. When I met my first general who was black, I respected all generals. But in this black general, I'm like, wow, mm. I, I didn't even know you, you existed. <laughs> You know, sadly enough, when I became a colonel, I knew just about every last one of them who was on active duty. That's how small the number was. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I answered your question, but it, it comes down to leadership is going to be the driver, but leadership that is not aware and leadership that is not prepared for the uncomfortable decision, uh, I'm sorry, conversation, uncomfortable conversation, cannot change. If leadership cannot change, nobody else can change. And I can go to the tops of government and come down. If leadership does not take this thing serious or has a counter message, people follow that counter message because most folks will not research and, you know, we're all trying to become more self-aware, mm-hmm. but there are some people who are further behind than others. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not I'm not putting a color color on that. I'm just talking about people in general. Yeah. Some people are very comfortable in the bubble they grew up in, and come hell or high water, they're not gonna break free from that bubble. Leadership, leaders, resilient leaders are needed to help you break out of that bubble. Yeah. But it's hard work. Yeah. How would you suggest someone get started? Like if they, you know, if if they if they've you know, read an article or two on, on, on LinkedIn, or, or they may have a book or two, but really to really get started in taking the journey to become a better leader, what would you suggest they do? If you want to become a better leader, I, I can tell you about the program I'm in, but uh, that's not, I'm not going to go there, right? The, the program I'm in is just a program. I'm, I'm just teaching leadership. The first thing you need to do is just say, I want to be better. And then you start reading, you start learning from the lessons of other folks. And if you're in a leadership position, I'll tell you what you do. You go to your people and and say, I want you guys to tell me. Matter of fact, you can make it anonymous. You know, just um, however you do it, tell me what you think of me as a leader. Mm -hmm. You know, that 360 degrees. Because once they let you know where you are falling short, now you got to make a decision. Mm. Uh, either you're going to keep on doing the same nonsense you've been doing <laughs> or you're going to change. 
that is a really difficult thing to do. Once you go to people for their opinion, they will give it to you. You may not like it, but then you can't hold it against them. Yeah. And then I, I say, if you are young and just starting out, find yourself a mentor. Find somebody who has walked the path you're trying to go and so you can get the advice. Then find somebody who necessarily hasn't walked where you're trying to go, but who has risen in leadership roles on the outside to give you an outside perspective. That person becomes a person you can call and say, okay, I'm pissed off. You, you can talk um, without attribution. Yeah. And they can give you, give you advice. See, when I, I coach individuals, you know, it doesn't matter what job they're doing. Couldn't care less. They could be a rocket scientist. You know, they could be uh, the lead janitor. I don't care because I am talking about it starts with showing respect for everybody. You earn trust by being authentic and vulnerable. And that's one thing I felt that in the beginning. So I came and trying to be, I'm a Marine. <laughs> I'm tough. I don't have issues. And it wasn't until I said, hey, you know what? Th that guy is phony, fake. The real me has all kinds of issues that I'm trying to get better and I keep falling. I need you team to help me. Mm. That starts a leadership journey. And when I recognized that, because at one point I thought leaders were born. I said, write that thing down. I was born to be a leader. Okay, really? <laughs> but, but I realized that my grandfather planted seeds. Other individuals planted seeds. I'm learning how to be a leader. And then I'm now in a position where I'm getting experience and some things I'm getting right, some things I'm getting wrong. Yeah, but I'm learning. Then I scratched off. Leaders are not born. <laughs> anybody who, anybody's a strong word. Most people who desire to lead uh, can become a good leader if they actively work at it. Because you lead somebody, whether it's your, your kids, your family, somebody's looking at you for your example. And I, I think about the Marine Corps. I always pick on the Marine Corps because of what I know. And plus, I know that most people had this stereotype. And the stereotype comes from like Full Metal Jacket or from uh, Heartbreak Ridge. And all they see are Marines yelling and screaming which is the furthest thing from the truth because you're not going to spend your whole career yelling and screaming at people who are walking behind you with a gun <laughs> that has ammunition in it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you want to uh, accomplish things. Uh, and you don't accomplish things by not bringing people in and making it feel like they're part of the team. That's what makes the Marine Corps so good is we have a, a collective belief that we are good and that we will be loyal to the team. Well, what makes us good sometimes also makes us bad because we really, really, really hold on to uh, traditions, you know, the Marine Corps tradition. When I went through the amphibious warfare school, I would always say that there were probably like very few black students, even fewer female students. Mm -hmm. I think we had like one or two black females. And we would go on field trips like to Gettysburg or whatever. and uh, we get in and they say, you know, General Lee or General somebody came across this field. What would you do? And I said, why are we always talking about the Confederacy? <laughs> and, and the point I was making is you haven't made me feel like I'm a part of this. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm still fighting to get into a club that that's supposed to be the best team in the world because what you're talking about is actually sort of offensive to me. Uh, that we 
place this group on a pedestal, but the folks who actually represented the United States, we don't. Mm. So I look, I know I'd gone all off on a tangent. Sorry about that. No, man. I, I love it, um, and I got to comment on that, and then we'll we'll kind of we'll, we'll we'll land the plane. But man, okay. that is the challenge I have with this, this word inclusion, like inclusion and diversity. I do believe that inclusion is it's kind of like before diversity. In other words, even if you have a diverse workforce or a diverse group mm-hmm. of people, if you're not if you're not if there's not an environment of inclusivity, it don't matter because those folks that are, <laughs> those that are diverse. It's still going to be a mess up in there. But part of the essence of inclusivity also means that whatever you are trying to include folks in or, or acting like you're trying to include them in may be the wrong thing in the first place. In other words, mm-hmm. that, that reference to, to General Lee, the Confederacy, holding values that or a culture, of inclu- a, 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 a culture that nobody wants to be included in. So it's almost wow. like these things you've talked about, right? being vulnerable and, and humble and self-aware to say, you know what, maybe some of the things that, the, the things that I've held, held true that have been a part of this country, a part of leadership and businesses, a part of policing, no longer should be something that we hold to try to include folks in, but maybe we restructure those things from the ground up to not only include folks, but to listen to them in the first place to get their buy-in on rebuilding it. Right. And building it in an image that is going to be collaborative and, you know, communal and in a way for all uh, for us all to 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 really follow and capture the American ideal. Right. Of that perfect union. So um, that's just my thought on that, man. I mean, I agree. I agree. You think about the inclusion piece. I think I'm going along the lines you were going along, you know, uh, it can be bad from this standpoint. If you're being included, let's say you're being included in a bad thing, mm-hmm. but now the person said, okay, in order to get along, I'll go along. All of a sudden now you are included and you're watching somebody get beat to death. Mm. But you were included and your group was diverse. Just as, as, as an aside, right? You've just been included in the wrong thing and everybody saying, hey, this is one of the boys. Mm. Uh, but your natural tendency is to, well, let me just bite my tongue because it feels better to be on the inside than be on the outside. So you're right. A, a lot of times it, it feels like we, I, I'm not going to pick on me, me, times I have bit my tongue when I shouldn't have just because I was tired. You know, <laughs> mm. I, I'm tired of having to correct everybody you know, on this small thing. And so sometimes I was there probably was a sense of inclusion at a much larger level, macro level, but at a micro level, I didn't really feel like I was a part of the group. At, go to the uh, the officer club, right? I walk in and I am included in the group of officers. But when a conversation starts uh, that has nothing at all to do with what I believe in, okay, awesome on the ba- I'm back on the outside again. And the, Reggie, what do you think? Well, no, I, I disagree with you. What do you mean? And so that, now there's this concerted effort of the group to change my perspective, to think like they do, so I can once again become included. But in doing so, you are not taking into account my culture, my background, you know, my mm-hmm. own beliefs. And so I, I don't need to give up me to be included. I need you to include me. 
I'll stop right there. Yeah, include you to then have them be self-aware to say, what is it about me, meaning them, that may need to be changed that, that would make them a better person and that culture uh, better overall, man. So right. you've given so many nuggets from self-awareness to, to your grandfather planting seeds to, you know, humility, um, vulnerability, resilience. Um, but to me, you know, I, I, I would love to, you know, help, people your way uh, as a coach. Um, how can folks get in touch with you, you, you know, to, to learn from your leadership and to potentially have you be a, a coach or some sort of um, resource for them to become a better leader? Most of the folks who are um, instructors in the resilience building leader program, I, I went slow on purpose. And again, like I said to you before we started recording, the emphasis is on leader not leadership. This is not a leadership program. This is teaching a leader how to build resilient teams. So there's a website, resiliencebuildingleaderprogram.com. Resiliencebuildingleaderprogram.com. I almost had to look to make sure I'm saying it right. <laughs> Did you look it up before? I, I, I didn't look it up before I was, I was reading, but I, I can post it on the... Uh... Well, this is what you do. Anybody interested, you go to RBLP. That's Romeo, Bravo, Lima, Papa. Just type it in Google. The first thing that will pop up um, is the Resilience Leader Building Pro Resilience Building Leader Program. Dr. Coglin uh, has a five-minute video. I recommend that anybody look at it because then you can see why it was created in the first place. Mm. And, and it may be something that, that draws you in. Um, through that link, if you're interested in getting involved, and I think it's, it should be at the individual level, I think companies should be taking all of their junior supervisors who are just coming into leadership positions, and from the very beginning, teaching them the importance of earning trust, treating people with respect, those things, and that's what we're teaching. Now, if you want me, you just ask for me. You ask for me by name on the application process, but, but I'm not going to... Um, place myself on a higher pedestal than anybody, all of the instructors are good. They're all good. And we all have a strong belief in if we can reach people early, then we're going to change organizations and the world one person at a time. Simply by teaching that small, simple steps of earn trust. What is earn trust? You walk in and... I, if you mind, I'm gonna give you this this real quick. Amazon. I'm gonna pick on Amazon. Amazon, I love you, but that's not. I'm not. I'm not working for them, so it's not a commercial advertisement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I use them in my example. I am an employee, and I work in Amazon. Whatever I do, I do really well. But I'm working in my silo, and I've been doing it extremely well. Or even say Google. I'm building uh, apps for Google, and I'm doing it very well. Two or three years later, somebody comes to me and says, you know, you've been excelling so well that we're going to put you in charge of these five individuals. Now you are a supervisor, a leader. Mm -hmm. And like, okay. And then they just sort of stumble through and try to figure it out. And in figuring it out, you know, they're trying to treat everybody the same as they should. But then one employee starts slacking off and they don't hold them accountable to bring them back into the standard. And the other employees get frustrated because they're saying, why am I working so hard uh, if Johnny gets away with crap? And so 
the trust that you had earned in the beginning, you start to lose that trust. Once you start losing that trust and people feel like they aren't being, uh, being treated fairly, then it's a downward spiral from that point. Or if you come out and you were a watcher of Full Metal Jacket or you know, Gunny Highway on Heartbreak Ridge or any military movie, and say, okay, I'm a leader now. Hey, guys, you're going to do what I told you to do. This is how you're going to do it. And you are treating people in a way where they don't feel respected, then you are doomed to fail. Even if you get promoted, which is a problem, because as people advance, they assume that they advance because they did well at the step before. They may have been did well productivity-wise, uh, but people-wise, they suck. So as they're going up to the next step, the people who are working for them are seeking new employment because they're so frustrated with the manager they had and that manager became the image of the organization, they're gone. We're saying that in this program, if you learn these things at the very basic level, a lot of these issues go away. You reduce your attrition, uh, you increase your productivity simply by learning the foundations of leadership. And how do you learn them? You get a mentor and a coach at the very beginning. Not after you're not already screwed up and mm. uh, 20 years later, the light goes on. I mean, that's important also. But let's just say that you start from that standpoint of building that foundation. And then over time, you just adjust on the margins and you start realizing that, okay, these things actually work. But if you've already created a poor environment in the beginning, it's hard to recover from it. And most people who create poor environments don't do it on purpose. They just don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So just by name, ask for me. Got it, man. Well, that look, that is a great, great advice. The, the, uh, let's see the resilience building leader program sounds like a winner and, um, you know, hopefully we'll have folks that, that will reach out and take advantage of that, man, because yes, getting that coaching, that, that leader, uh, foundation early in your career is, a, a game changer and it could be a game changer on a larger scale if more people uh did that because really i mean i didn't really look into leadership till i, till I was 40 years old you know <laughs> so two decades into my my work career so um so uh reggie pleasure to have you on the podcast man i appreciate you um and i hope to have you back uh and and any anything you need or any questions you have for me man just feel free to reach out however i can help how may i help you actually right so so yeah so thank you thank you you know i'm there for you all right appreciate you thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you on the next one thanks for listening to the leading on purpose podcast with me dr anthony purdue if you like our show and want to know more check out anthonypurdue.com where you can download my free ebook how to lead like a lion the seven keys to the kingdom Please follow me on Instagram at dr.anthonyperdue and look me up on LinkedIn under Dr. Anthony Perdue as well. Until next time, be strong, be inspired, and lead on purpose.